Last week, we dove into this question, who do you say that I am? And it's in a moment when Jesus is talking to his disciples, his posse, his friends that he's hanging out with all the time, and he says, hey, I know what other people say, but I wanna know what do you say? Who do you say that I am? And it's a really significant question. I would argue it's the most important question you ever answer. Because what you believe, who you believe God is, determines who you believe you are, and that actually flows out in our behavior how we love others or don't love others, how we're united or separated, how we fear or don't fear. And so last week we talked about that and that message actually is online if you wanna go and listen to it and you can get it in more detail. But essentially we looked at the fact that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. If you want to know who God is, how he thinks, how he acts, how he speaks, how he interacts with others, if you want to know who he is, you simply look at the person of Jesus. A mentor of mine in high school said, Jesus is God in a bod. Yes, God in a bod. And so we look at him, we see that he is incredibly compassionate. He's unpredictable. He asks all sorts of questions. You say, hey, is it A or B? He's like, it's D. He's incredibly interruptible. He gives no respect to high or low. He treats all people the same, with the same worth, the same honor. He crosses divides, gender, ethnic, religious. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life, which seems very exclusive, except for when you understand that he's talking about all people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and he's inviting all of them to be embraced by the living God. This is who God is. And so this week, I wanna flip the script a little bit, and I wanna ask the question from our perspective, because how often do we go to God and say, who do you say that I am? Now, we look to a lot of people around us. Typically, we get our identity from three places, what we do, what we have, or what other people say about us. That's where we get our identity from. So think about this. I love that first question, right? What do other people assume about you at first? Well, let's just talk about where do you get your identity from? It's typically what you do, right? Someone says, hey, who are you? Oh, I, you know, this is my, I I went to Dartmouth College. I was a division one athlete. I give him a resume, right? I have an academic coaching business. I'm married to a tall drink of water named Marshall. He's the, he's actually the backup Seahawks PA announcer. So if you go to the stadium, he's like being trained to be the voice in the stadium, right? He, um, we have four boys. They are 10, eight, five, and two. I'm a mom. Here's all the things that I do. I have a business. I do momming. We live down the street. I work with college students. But who am I? It's actually a very different question because sure, I'm a mom, but am I a good mom? Am I a patient mom? Am I a creative mom? Am I a strict mom? Am I a flexible mom? There's all different ways that I can be as a mom. I'm a business owner, but what kind of a business owner am I? Am I honest? Do I have integrity? Am I, um, am I really strict about my business practices? Do I have a lot more creativity and flow? Who am I as a business owner? Who am I as a wife? And so it's easy to get caught up in what we do, what we have, and particularly who other people say that we are and think that that's where we get our worth from. But I would argue that there is one place, one place that can actually tell you with all truth, with all honesty, who you are, and his name is Jesus. He's the one that created you. He's the one that knows you by name. He knows you better than you know yourself. How many of you are like, yes, I know who I am right now? I mean, if you do, I'd love to talk to you. Tell me your story. (laughs) 
But I know I am on a constant journey discovering the depths of me. All the time I surprise myself, sometimes in good ways, like, wow, I was so much more patient than I thought I would be in that situation. And other times I'm like, wow, I can't believe, like I just got shoved and what came out of me was ugly. I didn't think I would respond that way. How many of you are surprised by yourself often? Maybe saddened, disheartened, frustrated. Gosh, I still am doing that thing that I didn't wanna do however long ago. And so what does it look like to know ourselves? I would, I would say this, that knowing God leads to knowing me. So the better that I know God, the better that I know who he is, how he speaks, what his tone is, the more I don't just do like a quiet time. I don't know if you know this, but the word quiet time is actually not in the Bible. Um, but anyway, I, but there is something to be said for drawing near and being near to God and saying, what do you say about me? I need to know who you are. I'm gonna study the scripture. I'm gonna go to the gospels and I'm just gonna look and I'm gonna look at every question Jesus asks and I'm gonna try and answer it. I'm gonna look at every way that he interacts with someone and I'm gonna try and like scrutinize it and figure out what's his tone, what's his thought, what is, what is he doing? So I can get to know his tone. I can get to know how he thinks, how he interacts, so I can begin to recognize his voice in my life because it says in scripture that he is always speaking. It's like a radio station, right? Right now, if we took an old school radio, how many of you have one of those with like a little antenna? And you'd turn the dial and you could actually tune in. And right now we could hear polka. We could hear you know, a talk radio. We could hear all sorts of things. There are radio waves flying through this room right now and you and I could tune into any one of them. And I would argue that God's voice is exactly the same. That his voice is flowing through this room right now. There's truth being spoken, being heard. Are we tuning in? Spirit cries out to spirit. Deep cries out to deep. There is a spirit within you whether you recognize it or not. And the truth of the living God wants to speak to that spirit. It's like this. When I was in high school, I played in the orchestra. The orchestra. I was, um, I was a violinist. I love, oh, love, love music. And so I played the violin. My stand partner, Raina Kim, I loved her. She twittered like she had the, the best laugh ever. And um, we became dear friends, and there would be times when she would tune her A string, and, and if our A strings were perfectly in tune, when she played hers, mine, without touching it, would resonate. There was resonance. There was truth-telling between them, right? So when she played something that was in tune with mine, mine resonated without me even touching it. And in the same way, when God speaks, when there's truth spoken out here, there's something in us that resonates, that's in tune with the truth of God because he's created you to know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so, who um, oh God's like rearranging all kinds of things right now. Okay, so, so I'm just gonna read to you a little bit of Psalm 139. And I love this, this um, there's a lot of different translations of scripture and I wrote this Bible 101 series. If you have questions, come ask me later and I can tell you about that. But the voice is a great translation. It's quite poetic in nature and it's translated everywhere where it says logos in the word. And it talks about, we talked about this last week, but Jesus is the logos, that's the Greek word. And if you think about a logo, like if I show you a Nike swoosh, you're like, wow, that is that logo is loaded with meaning and story, especially right now, right? You know, all those things. And so Jesus is the logo. He's the visible image of the invisible God. He's like a logo and he carries with him so much story and meaning and all these things. And in the voice, they translate the logo as, logos as the voice. Other translations call him the word. But a voice connotates speaking, that there's communication. A voice is both coming from you know, the person that's speaking, but also received by the listener. It's more than just a word on a page. It's something living and active and exchanged. And so they talk about Jesus as the voice that is speaking. 
That being said, here in Psalm 139, it says this, oh God, you have explored my heart and know exactly who I am. This is David. Remember, if any of you guys know the story of David and Goliath, you know, the little guy with the stone, and he kills the giant, and then he grows up and he becomes the king. Okay, so this is, this is David speaking. Oh God, you have explored my heart and know exactly who I am. You even know the small details, like when I take a seat and when I stand up again. Now, it could be creepy, but this is fantastic. Okay, even when I'm far again, even when I'm far away, you know what I'm thinking. You observe my wanderings and my sleeping, my waking and my dreaming. You know everything I do in more detail than even I know. How beautiful it is to be known by someone that knows you in this way. How many of us want to be known? I want to be known. And not just assumed about, but known. You know everything I do in more detail than even I know. You know what I'm going to say long before I say it. I'm like, tell me, because I don't know what I'm going to say until after it comes out of my mouth. I need help. It's true, God, that you know everything and everyone. You have surrounded me on every side, behind me and before me. You have placed your hand gently on my shoulder. It is the most amazing feeling to know how deeply you know me inside and out. The realization of it is so great that I cannot comprehend it. Can I go anywhere apart from your spirit? Is there anywhere I can go to escape your watchful presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the realm of the dead, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I make my home in the most isolated part of the ocean, even then you will be there to guide me. Your right hand will embrace me for you are always there. Even if I am afraid, how many of you have ever been afraid? Racked with fear, anxiety, you feel alone. You feel alone. Here is the truth. Even if I am afraid and think to myself, there is no doubt that the darkness will swallow me. The light around me will soon be turned to night. You can see in the dark, for it is not dark to your eyes. For you, the night is just as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to your eyes. For you shaped me inside and out. You knitted me together in my mother's womb long before I took my first breath. I will offer you my grateful heart for I am your unique creation filled with wonder and awe. You are a unique creation, known, seen before the beginning of of time, woven together. Everything that you think is a flaw, God actually put together and said, good. This right here, this thing, yeah, it might cause some insecurity, but it's gonna cause her to run to me and to know me. This right here, this thing that is gonna cause arrogance in this young man, It's gonna break him at some point, but you know what? I'm gonna be right there with him and it's gonna cause him compassion. He's gonna be an incredible leader. The things that you lament about how you were made were actually looked at and said are good by the living God because he wants to know you deeply. He wants you to be known. You have approached even the smallest details with excellence. Your works are wonderful. I carry this knowledge deep within my soul. You see all things. Nothing about me was hidden from you. As I took shape in the secret, carefully crafted in the heart of the earth before I was born from its womb, you see all things. You saw me growing, changing. Every detail of my life was already written in your book. You established the length of my life before I ever tasted the sweetness of it. Your thoughts and plans are treasures to me, O God. I cherish each and every one of them. And there's more to that, but that is the truth. David has discovered the depth of God's love and his knowing of him. 
and he treasures it and he acknowledges there are moments when I am afraid, when I think the night will swallow me up, I am terrified no matter how far I run, no matter how much I try to isolate myself, somehow you find me because even the dark is as light to you. What a promise. What an encouragement. The Bible is a study in identity. You look at almost every character and they're, they're one way and then God interacts with them and then they get a new name. They get a new identity. And it's not new, it's what they were always meant to be, but they were living out a false identity until God got a hold of them and told them who they actually were and then they began to walk in the truth of who they were made to be. All throughout scripture, Last week, we looked at the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and Jesus you know, shows up at this well in the middle of the day, the heat of the day, and he looks at this woman and he says, hey, woman, give me a drink. And she's like, who are you talking to me? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. She draws all the lines, right? All the reasons why we shouldn't be talking, all the reasons why you shouldn't be here. She draws the lines. He basically calls her out and says, hey, why don't you bring your husband? Let's have a chat. And she's like, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, you're right. You've been with five men. The man you're with now isn't even your husband. She's like, I don't know about you, but that's when I'm like, I'm out. I don't know who you are, what you're talking about. But. And instead she's like, man, you're a prophet. Like you, you know something about me. He's like, if you actually knew who I was, you'd ask me for living water and I would give you something and you'd never be thirsty again. She responds, give me this water. What are you talking about? And comes to realize that he is the Messiah, the savior, the one that she's been waiting for. And he stays with her and spends time with her and she runs back to town Here's a woman who has been used and abused by men in a culture that was very much misogynistic. And do you know what happens? She leads an entire town back to the Messiah. He stays for two days. And almost everyone, as far as we know, everyone in the town comes to believe that he's the living God. And this woman who has always been used by men suddenly becomes a leader of men. Wow, identity shift. Because she's encountered the living God, she begins to walk in her true identity. She becomes a leader of a community because she's known. And not for the most wonderful things, for the hardest parts of her story. And yet still loved and still invited. Amazing. So I'm gonna tell you a little bit about my story because I know you're quite curious about this. So I grew up on Mercer Island, not far from here. A lot of pressure, a lot of um, expectation. Um, I was a division, well, I got recruited to play soccer and that was very much my identity. I had an ACL tear that kind of rocked me momentarily, but I came back. And I went off to college and I was a starter on this team. We were ranked eighth in the nation. I was, you know, a freshman Ivy. I made all Ivy my senior year. We won three Ivy League championships, went to the NCAA a couple times. Like that was very much my identity. Um, and I was in Kappa Kappa Gamma, so I was a sorority girl, you know, all those things. And it was my freshman winter. I remember walking up campus this one day, and I did some young life in high school. I grew up in a Christian home. I believed in God. I told you a little bit last week about how I began my kind of journey of knowing Jesus. But I get to college, and I was very much in this kind of dark place. A lot of... Um, well, a lot of people that weren't about Jesus. And, um, and I remember walking up campus one night, and I'm doing great. I'm starting on this team, got my first boyfriend, doing all the things. And I remember walking up campus in the middle of the night, and the stars were out, and I looked up, and it was almost as if God tapped me on the shoulder. Like, all of a sudden, my thoughts went toward him. And I was like, wow, hey, God. Like, I don't, I don't really remember the last time I thought about you. I don't know what I've been thinking about, but it hasn't been you. And, and he got my attention somehow that night. And I said, hey, if you want to know me, you need to find me here because I don't know where to find you. 
And within a couple months, he began to plant people in my life, some of my dearest friends today. And I began to be surrounded by community. I got involved with the Navigators. I went in my first Bible study, studied the book of John. I went home that summer, went as a young life leader up to Malibu. Anyone been there? Up in Canada, glorious place. Heard God's voice for the first time. I've never heard him audibly, but it was just this sense in my spirit. It was like, it says in scripture that, that those who believe in God have the mind of Christ, which means that we hear his thoughts in our thoughts right? And you begin to determine, like, we hear a lot of things. How many of you guys hear a lot of things? You hear the, like, you suck, you're terrible, you're ugly, you're not smart, right? There's, there's the lies that we hear, and then there's the truth that's actually somehow much subtler and quiet, but it's that resonating tone that I was telling you about that somewhere deep within you, you're like, that's true. It's almost terrifying, and it feels really arrogant to say out loud, that's God, where he's like, I love you, I see you, I know you, I want you. It never comes with guilt, fear, or shame. That's the voice of the enemy. The enemy comes with guilt, fear, and shame. It says in scripture, he's a liar and an accuser. He's constantly trying to point a finger at you. And yet God comes with joy and patience and peace and a quiet and still small voice and with a deep sense of truth that causes something in you to shudder. So I begin to hear his voice. I get super excited. I come back. I'm going back to Dartmouth, and I'm like, I just want people to know Jesus. I started Bible studying my sorority. I'm doing all these things. I'm super zealous about just like spending time with God. I'm journaling back and forth with my new boyfriend who I met in Malibu, and that lasted like a minute. He actually played bass here. We were dating long distance at the end. Hello. Um, That's where I learned how to worship, but it was not because of that. Okay, so um, (laughs) that being said, um, it's the end of my fall quarter, and... Like I told you before, a lot of performance. And underneath all of this, even as I'm growing in my faith, there was always this lie that said, if people really knew, if people really knew you, they'd be disappointed. You need to uphold this crazy high standard, the grades, the soccer, all the things. And if you don't uphold this standard, then everyone's gonna be disappointed in you. And so I began subtly lying. I would shape shift, right? I'd be in conversation with someone and I'd always make things sound a little bit better you know, I'd like subtly throw people under the bus to make myself look a little bit better. I cheated here and there because everyone does it, right? A little bit of plagiarism here and there. Well, I ended up plagiarizing a paper at the end of my, fall qu- my um, sophomore fall quarter, and I got caught. In God's grace, I got caught. He was like, I know the way that you're running, and I know what you want, and I can't let this. I love you too much to let this stay with you. And there are a lot of things in my life that have taken a long time to root out. How many of you guys are still working on that thing? You're like, seriously, this, I'm still like struggling with the same thing. And then there are other things that somehow God in his sovereign plan reaches in and like an alcoholic that drops a bottle and is like, I'm done. He like rips it out of your life and it's painful and it's so good. So I get suspended from Dartmouth. I have to be off campus within 48 hours, three terms. It was unprecedented. I don't know why they decided to make an example out of me, but they did. I went back a year later and my dean said, I've never seen anything like that and I've never seen anyone return. I didn't even know that wasn't an option or was an option to not come back, to finish what I had started. But in that nine months as I was home, I started coming to the inn and I would listen to Mike Gaffney and Ryan Church was an intern at the time and I learned how to worship and this crazy, crazy time of worship broke out at the 17th Ave House where every Wednesday night it was impromptu. Some of the guys from the worship team would go and just start to play and for two and three hours, students would pack out the 17th Ave House. No song sheets, no nothing. Sing, people are on the floor. It was unbelievable. The fire department had to come and shut it down because the floor started bowing. 
Like that was the place, there was a revival that happened on this campus. And I began to see the spirit of God and he rebuilt my entire identity. And like I said before, the enemy comes in and he wants to actually lie to you and he will lie to you about your identity. He will try and get you to go 180 degrees, the opposite direction of who you truly are. For the first 20 years of my life, I was a liar. Really, I was. I, I would always, I mean, I don't remember a day that I didn't bend or shift something to make myself look a little bit better because I was afraid. And when the Lord did that to me, and I wouldn't say he did that to me, I did that to me, but when the Lord allowed that to happen because he loved me and he knew it would be good for me and he didn't want me to bring that deceit into my, my grown-up life, my marriage, my children, he gave me a new name. And my primary identity is a truth-teller. That's why I'm standing in front of you right now because I love the truth. And even now, sometimes things will fly out of my mouth. Have you ever done that? And you're like, oh my gosh, I don't even agree with what I just said. And the Lord's like, say it out loud. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I just looked at you and told you that I ate three brownies, but I actually had four. <sighs> like, right? Because he's like, he won't let me go back. He will not let me go back. Not even the most subtle things. He will not let me go back. And so what I love is God identifies the lies. He's the lie revealer. He reveals the lies that the enemy tries to come at you with, and then he begins to lead you in an entirely different direction. The first half of my life, I was a liar. I became a truth teller. I was a shapeshifter. The first word that I heard from him, I said, God, who, who am I? Who do you say that I am? Trajectory shifter. I was a shapeshifter. Now I'm a trajectory shifter. I was someone that would always shift and shape to whoever I was with because I so wanted to please. I so wanted to be loved and wanted and affirmed. And now I'm a trajectory shifter. I step into spaces, whether it's one or 500, and people walk away a little bit shifted toward the Lord, toward the truth of who they are, of who God says he is, even if they don't know we're talking about Jesus. trajectory shifter. I was walking wounded, and now I'm a powerful healer. And I'm still learning how to walk in all these things, and God is still peeling away layers and showing me new things about who I am, but it's the most thrilling journey to be, be going deeper and deeper into knowing who God is, and as I do that, he goes deeper and deeper into who I am. And our relationship, there's more intimacy, more unity. And you know what? When you begin to know who you are, you can't wait to see who other people are. Instead of walking around and, and dealing with, I would say our fear leads us to places of um, comparison and competition. How many of you guys know that one real well? Comparison and competition. Because our fear is that we don't measure up or we need to be better than them, right? When we don't know who we are, when we don't know whose we are, we compare and we compete. We self-protect and we self-promote. But when we know who we are, those things begin to fall away and you become very curious about the people around me. I know I'm a trajectory shifter, who are you? How has God made you? I'm super curious to ask people questions, to know who they are in their story and maybe help them discover who they're becoming. Because no longer is it about me being better or worse or accepted, like I know who I am, I know that I'm loved. I know the moments when I kind of step out of my identity and I get all shifty and I don't like that and I get uncomfortable and that's God's invitation for me to come back. And I get to reveal to other people the truth of who they are because I'm not so worried about me anymore. That's the kind of community that I want to see growing up and out of this place. That, that this was the place that I began that journey, which is why it's such a gift to come back. So I'm just going to read this. So this is in Matthew 3.13. And um, yeah, I'm going to skip that other one. Um, 
If you wanna go back and read John 1, it's so good. But John, who's Jesus' cousin, he comes before and kind of tells everyone about Jesus that he's coming. And everyone comes to him, they're like, who are you, John? He's like, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet, I'm not this. And I just think it's really important for us to recognize it's, it's equally as important to know who we're not as to knowing who we are. Like, we need to define our edges, right? You can't be the best at everything. It, that's unfair. Plus, no one can relate to you. That's no fun at all. And so, so it's really important for you to know who you're not, right? I am not Molly Homemaker. Like, I suck at the details of my house. My husband looks at me like, what's your vision with the pot? My, my vision with the pot? Like, I don't know. I left it there. I forgot. You know, like, I mean, and he's like so detail-oriented. You know, I mean, I know who I'm not, and I know who I am. And so then I don't have to, when someone says, gosh, you really didn't do that, and you're like, I know, <laughs> Seriously, I suck at that. <laughs> That's fine. You know, I'm really sorry. Like, I know who I'm not. I'm not trying to protect myself. And I know who I am. So when someone tells me, like today, when my 11-year-old son, who was really mad at me because I said I would play a game with him, but then I went and played catch with one of my other sons because there's only one of me, and he looks at me, he's like, you're a liar! And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> Just changed my mind, actually. <laughs> so, but no, I know who I am, and I know who I'm not. And it helps you to not be defensive. It helps you not to be aggressive. It helps you not to be passive-aggressive, ladies. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> that being said, so Matthew 3.13, and this, I, I wanna just give you a little glimpse of this, and then, um, and then we're gonna do a little exercise together, and I trust and believe that every single one of you is gonna hear truth tonight about you personally. And so this is, this is what it says here. How does Jesus get his identity? Because remember, he's the blueprint. He's the model. We're not all supposed to be exactly like Jesus. We're supposed to be like Jesus in the sense that he's totally connected with the Father. He's always listening. He's always in tune. There's no separateness in him. The word sin means separation. So when we confess our sin, it's just confessing. It's telling the truth. Confess means to tell the truth about our separation, where we feel separate from God and others. Simple as that. So I come to God and I say, God, I feel separate from you. I feel separate from other people. Will you, will you help me see why is there separation? Show me, show me so that I can walk in a different way. So let's look at Jesus and how he gets his identity. So it says, Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, his cousin. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. So why are you coming to me? And Jesus says, it should be done. For we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. He did this as an example to identify with us. And baptism in that day was just this sense of, you were literally in the river, right? And they dunk you in and they bring you back out. And it was just symbolic of like a new birth, right? You're totally being covered in water, washed clean and brought back up again into sort of a new life. In the same way that as you come through your mother's womb, right? You were like through the water (laughs) and out, very exciting. Okay, and um, sorry, none of you really know much about that yet, but I do. Four kids. Okay, so why are you coming to me? Jesus says it should be done for you. Must carry it out. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, listen to this. As Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. So it wasn't actually a bird, but it was like a dove. There was some image that happened here, like a dove, and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. His identity was not the savior, the Messiah. His identity was a son, a beloved son. And out of that, he was able to love, to save, to heal. He lived from love, not for love. Many of us are still living for love. And so we shift and shape and do all these things. But what if you were to live from love? If you had heard from God who you are, that you are a son, you are a daughter, you are a trajectory shifter, you are a truth teller. 
You are free. You are not alone. The Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. After this fast, he was, as you can imagine, hungry. But he was also curiously stronger when the tempter came to Jesus. Here's that enemy we talked about before. And notice what the devil, the enemy, the accuser says. And I love this because it's just making it very plain. Like, this is your enemy. Your enemy is not people. Your enemy is not, I mean, your, your enemy is anything that sets itself up against the truth of God. It's ways of thinking that set themselves up against the truth of God, that you are loved and known. So we'll finish here and then we're gonna pray. So the enemy comes, he says, if you're the son of God, right? He puts his identity in question. If you're the son of God, he just questions it. Tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. It's written, man does not live by bread alone, rather he lives on every word. It's not that Jesus couldn't do it. A few minutes later, he like feeds 5,000 with some like kids lunchable or something. And so, um, and then the devil takes him to the holy city and he says, if you're the son of God, jump. And he keeps tempting him. And it's not, again, that Jesus can do anything. He's like, no, you're my enemy. I'm resisting you. I'm resisting you. This is not truth. But notice that he tempts him by trying to question his identity. Jesus says, get away from me. I will not serve you. I will instead follow scripture, which tells us to worship God, the eternal one, and serve only him and the devil left. Do you know that when that lie comes in, you can say, liar. Nope. Mm -mm. I will not serve you. Because those lies only have as much power as we give them. The only thing the enemy can do is lie to you. He's just got a big mouth. He doesn't have a whole lot of power. He can't kill you. He can sure influence you. But he cannot do anything to you. So you have the power to resist and to claim the truth. So I'm gonna pray right now. So I'm gonna have you bow your heads or whatever you wanna do. I don't know, you can stand up, sit down, however you feel an imposter of just being, just quieting your heart and your mind. And I'm just gonna pray and lead us through an exercise, all right? So God, we thank you so much that you are here. You are in this room. You say that your spirit has been poured out on all flesh, that every single person in this room, whether they yet know you or not, it does not matter. You are the creator of the universe and your word transcends all things and all belief systems. And you say that you are here for all people. And so God, I trust that you are gonna speak to every single person's heart in this room. I pray right now that you would silence the voice of the enemy, that no lie would enter in this place and that only your truth would penetrate. And so God, as we listen to you right now, I just ask you this first. Will you show my friends, will you show me what is the lie that we have believed about ourselves? What's the lie? What have we heard? What have we agreed with? Will you reveal to us the lie? probably the first thing that comes to mind. It might be an image, it might be words. God speaks to us all uniquely. And if it's quiet, that's okay. The first thing that comes to mind, and I want you now to imagine that you're writing that down on a piece of paper, okay? So that lie that just came to mind, I want you to write it down in your imagination on a piece of paper. God has given us all things. He's created us in his image. He gave us even our imagination to be able to communicate with us. And so in your imagination, just write that down and God, we just, we want to image you. Will you give us an image of yourself before us, whatever that looks like, whether you're just in front of the cross or just sitting with us, wherever you are. But if we could just imagine handing that piece of paper with that lie on it, we just want to hand it directly to you, Jesus. And so in your mind's eye, just hand that piece of paper over with that lie on it. What does he do with it? 
Somebody yell out, what did you do with it? What was that? Tore it up, threw it away, put it in his pocket, burned it, it disappeared. Yeah, give me some nods. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, a lot of nods. It says in scripture that God is, is all about forgiveness and exchange. It says that he swallows up death, anything that causes us death, and he gives us life. And so in exchange, God, we just wanna ask you right now, as we have given you that lie and you have done away with it, you have acknowledged it is not good. One time I gave him a lie and he gobbled it up. And it literally says in scripture, he, he like literally eats death and gives us life. That's crazy, swallows death and gives us life. What do you wanna give us in return? God, who is it that you say that we are? Who do you say that I am? It might be an image. It might be a word. It might be a memory. Whatever it is, ask him, what do you mean by that? If you need clarification, tell me about that, God. It might be something that you need to unpack later with him. Bring it to a mentor. Again, if it's good, glorious, if it brings freedom, that's God. If it's guilt, shame, or fear, that's not from God. And you say, nope, no thank you, liar. (laughs) I am listening only to Jesus. And so God, we thank you right now that you speak truth. You only speak truth, that you love us, You want to give us a new identity, a new name. And I believe that you've started that journey with us this morning. Many of us have heard for the first time, perhaps. And we're gonna learn to understand the tone of your voice, the cadence of your voice, what you wanna say. And not with all surety every time, for sure. I still wonder, oftentimes, was that you? Was that me? Was that chilly? God, I just ask that we would become people who really recognize your truth and your voice in the midst of all the noise. And if there was quiet, God, I thank you that Zephaniah 3.17 says, the Lord your God is mighty to save. He will rejoice in you. He will delight over you with singing. He will quiet you with his love. And so if any of my friends here tonight only heard quiet and they immediately got afraid or sad or frustrated or thought they did something wrong, I annihilate that lie right now. And I speak the truth that you were quieting their hearts and their minds because that in of itself is a miracle. When are we ever quiet inside? And that quiet is synonymous with your love. And so anytime we ask you from here on out for something, for a direction, and all we hear is quiet, you're saying, I love you. And you're like, I know, I know, but I wanna know what I'm supposed to do. I love you. God, would you be the one that speaks louder than every other? And would we be people that quiet the noise, even for a moment, and ask you to tell us who we are? We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your presence and for the trajectory shift that has happened this evening. We pray that in Jesus' name.